On this week's episode, Nintendo has a celebration for Mario. Tenet starts to get some returns worldwide. And is it time to return to Action Park? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back for another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, The Lakers Fast Break, and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you can like, follow, share, subscribe, whatever you can do to support us, throw out some of those Facebook gaming stars at us. It is truly appreciated. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He is our own Josh Plus of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com. His awesome podcast, Topicocalypse, and the Super BS Gamescast. And of course, his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What's up? I was uh, sitting, you know, on the old couch last night looking at the streaming offerings. There's a lot. Like, there's a lot to catch up on, and I'm feeling overwhelmed by all this. Business has picked up in the streaming world, and I will cover uh, hopefully a portion of that today when it comes to some of my thoughts on The Boys, Raised by Wolves, Class Action Park. I know you caught that, Josh, so I'm going to have an interview later on with one of the directors Seth Porges, along with Chris Charles Scott. Your thoughts real quick on Class Action Park before we head on? I really enjoyed it. You know, I it, most documentaries, like, they have an agenda, whether that agenda is good or bad. They're pushing something. They're telling a story, and, like, the end point is to make you, like, feel something one way or another. It's kind of like a speech. But when I sat down and watched Class Action Park, this is a documentary that exists just because, right? No one's saying that Action Park was like good or bad. It just was. And they're just telling the story of this theme park that was and did a lot of damage to a lot of people, but people still have good memories with it. It's just, it was such a unique documentary. And I have not been so enthralled with a documentary in in a really long time. And so this was very well put together the interviews were really great all the people and you know they were captivating in their own right and i am glad that i took the hour and 30 minutes to sit down and watch this movie it is one of the best movies right now that i have seen this year i mentioned that on last week's pop culture cosmos it's funny it's reverent it does have emotion there's just so much to it i will be talking to seth later on the program i'm looking so forward to it Plus, we've also got a lot of other things to talk about, including Warner Brothers versus Ray Fisher. Mulan debuted, so both Josh and I did check that out. We're going to share some thoughts on that. No Time to Die had a new trailer. Just talk about that real quickly. Nintendo had some Mario announcements celebrating the 35th anniversary of Mario, so we're going to talk about that as well. How did Tenet do? We're going to describe that as far as seeing whether or not it was worth just going straight to the theaters as opposed to going to video on demand. Cobra Kai hits number one on Netflix. The Batman, we'll just talk quickly about that. Man, it's going to be a ton of pop culture coming right at you here at the Pop 
culture cosmos. But to get started off first, my friend, I want to go ahead and touch on the Warner Brothers versus Ray Fisher debate going on real quickly because it becomes a he said, studio said sort of situation in regards to the uh, alleged abuse that was going on in with Joss Whedon and then also as well the higher ups like Jeff Johns and whatnot at DC and Warner Brothers. So I want to hear your thoughts where it's come to Warner Brothers saying that they're trying to do an investigation and Ray Fisher is refusing to cooperate and Ray Fisher is denying that he's refusing to cooperate. So it's really getting kind of nasty at this point in time. So Ray Fisher, it's interesting because he actually has like records of him cooperating. And so I don't know what Warner Brothers is, is doing, but Ray Fisher has all the records. He has phone records. He has witnesses and Warner Brothers can't like deny anything that he's saying. Um, also, what what is kind of scary here is if what Ray Fisher is saying is true and, you know, the higher ups at Warner Brothers called him and asked if he could leave Jeff Johns's name out of the whole thing. And that is something that is quite worrisome in itself. Granted, it's not anything to do with like sexual harassment, like the Harvey Weinstein thing, but it has the same like elements at its core, right? Where they're trying to cover up all the, the sins of these big movie producers and executives. And that's something that is, you know, especially for DC films are concerned, a universe really just trying to find itself and get on its feet. Like this is not a good way to do something like this. This relationship between Warner Brothers and Ray Fisher is just getting worse and worse. And if there are plans at all to include Ray Fisher Cyborg in the Flashpoint movie, if there's a revival of the DCEU with Justice League 2 and whatnot, uh, it's going to become very tenuous. So I see still good things down the road for Ray Fisher. I'm hoping part of that will be Cyborg but it remains to be seen whether or not that's going to continue or not. But I'm hoping this won't stop or halt any plans if the Snyder Cut really becomes a success that the Justice League could still continue in some form or fashion. He had said back in July that he was going to be involved in the Flashpoint film. And as of right now, he still is. With the Justice League Part 2, if it you know if the Snyder Cut is good, yeah, I would hope to see him in it because he's already an integral part. They had developed his storyline and kind of left it open to what's going to happen to him next. So they would, in order for Justice League Part 2 to be as successful, he would have to be involved in it. It's taken a life on its own, my friend, but I wish him the best with his situation. I am hopeful that he will continue his efforts as Cyborg within the realm of DC. And I'm hopeful for a peaceful and good resolution for Ray Fisher and Warner Brothers going forward. It's just going to get nastier, in my opinion, most likely, but I'm hoping cooler heads will prevail and they'll be able to work out some type of agreement or settlement or some way to go ahead and calm these tensions on both sides real soon. Yeah, I hope so, too. Obviously, you and I are fans of, of the DCU, and we would like to see it continue. I want justice to be served in whatever way it needs to be served, but I also would like to see the DCU grow into something with the good faith of the fans. Couldn't agree more. What are your thoughts out there on the Ray Fisher versus Warner Brothers battle? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. My friend, we've got a lot to talk about, so everybody out there, buckle up, because we've got a lot to talk about, including some stuff going on right now with 
something we don't normally talk about, and that's Amazon Prime has a new contender in Walmart Plus. Walmart Plus debuted last week. This is something for, not necessarily on the entertainment side, it's more of the delivery side, but it is Walmart's attempt to go ahead and make a big dent into Amazon Prime. I believe it's $98 for a full year. Wherever eligible, there are gas savings of up to five cents a gallon, but the real key is that you'll get free delivery on stuff that you buy from Walmart, similar to what you see with Amazon Prime. And I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, on this. As someone who uses both Walmart and Amazon, I think both options are great. The only thing that does it for me is Amazon Prime, where we've talked about for years, Amazon Prime, as far as the video end, was just a throwaway, just something that was there. It is no longer the case. It is something that you and I both value. The boys came out this weekend, which we'll go into here in a sec, but... If Walmart Plus, which got rid of Voodoo, I think last year, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's a good value, obviously, for people out there who constantly use Walmart, as I do, but I'm still choosing Amazon Prime if I have to go one or the other because of all the advantages from an entertainment aspect. I don't have access to the gas savings because it's not in my area, so it makes me lean towards Amazon Prime a little bit more. Yeah, so we have the gas stations out here, like there's Walmart's everywhere there's there's more walmarts than starbucks out here but you know i'm looking at walmart plus versus amazon prime my my issue with walmart is this like you go on their website yeah you can find a lot of things and they do have some some things that are sold from secondhand sellers much like amazon does but the problem is everything is overpriced everything is overpriced and that you don't know you can order something and there's no like clarification whether it's in stock or how long it's going to take to get shipped to you Target's website, because Target will tell you how much is in stock if you can pick it up at the store or not. Walmart doesn't do that kind of thing. And Walmart has just a, a plethora of things that they don't on their website that's that isn't even in stock. And there's no like secondhand buying options if you wanted it. So this is why I will always use Amazon Prime until you know I hear something good about Walmart Plus. But right now I'm not too excited about that service. Well, like I said, it's something I'm still gauging because I use Walmart a lot. I use Amazon a lot. We, we mix it in. Uh, so it's something I'm still very keen on, at least examining. and something I'm very interested in. So we'll keep you up to date on Walmart Plus versus Amazon Prime. And I just want to see a little bit more from Walmart Plus that benefits me here in this area. If I can get something a little bit more from Walmart Plus on that, I think I'm probably going to go ahead and buy into it. But again, I'm still going to keep my Amazon Prime regardless. What are your thoughts on Walmart Plus versus Amazon Prime? We'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Is Walmart Plus, especially in the holidays, you're going to be buying a ton of stuff there, a great value for you if you buy into the service? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Coming soon, Zero Cool Films presents Action Figure Adventure. Super collector Jay Bartlett hits the road once again in search of action figures, most iconic and noteworthy and rare figures, all in the name of creating the most ultimate action figure auction ever. He fronts the cash, the charity benefits in the end. What will he get? How will he get it? And how well will he do? Find out November 1st, 2020. Well, my friend, we've got a lot more to talk about on today's show. And again, later on, we will have an interview with Seth Porges, 
the director or one of the directors along with Chris Charles Scott III of Class Action Park. Mulan came out this weekend to video on demand here in the States. It's going to be released worldwide in theaters, but here in the States it came out on Disney+. Plus. So I want to ask your thoughts on Mulan. You and I both got a chance to see it. I saw a little bit of your comments on your social media. So I want to hear your thoughts on Mulan. So you mean... Uh... <laughs> okay. Um, so it was Step right into it, my friend. Step right into it. It was a movie. It was definitely a film. It was a film of films and a film with martial arts and a film with a character named Mulan but it wasn't really Mulan, if that makes sense. Well, it wasn't meant to, because um, they didn't do a shot-by-shot remake like they did with The Lion King. I mean, if you're expecting no, that... No, it, I wouldn't even call it a remake. I would call it a retelling. Like, yeah. it just... Yeah. There was not a lot of elements from the movie in it, except for a character named Mulan. So that being said, approaching it from a standpoint of uh, not Mulan, I thought it was a pretty decent movie. I didn't love it. You know, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was it was okay. It was in the middle. I thought Donnie Yen was pretty good in his role. I thought that the other actors were really great. Yuffie Liu, I think, the girl that plays Mulan, I thought she was really great. It took me a long time to realize that Jet Li was the emperor in the movie. That was a surprise. So here's my thought. The writing was needed a lot of work. There's a lot of continuity issues where, like, how did this person get here so fast after just talking to this other person here like five seconds ago you know there's a lot of continuity problems in the film that i don't think were really thought about i thought the soundtrack was fantastic you know at the end of it all i would have enjoyed it better if it had more to it if it had more like this felt like a very epic movie that was very dry you know how like when we talk about gears five the video game and talk about how they had that open world and it felt very bare that's kind of what Mulan felt like to me. Like it had this chance to be this really like epic film because they had already stepped outside the shadow of the cartoon. So it had this chance to be really this really big set piece and they didn't really take advantage of that opportunity. So, you know, and that gives me to my next thought. If Disney's like toting this as a cultural masterpiece, right? The whole cast of eight of, of Asian actors. And I thought that was great. I thought that all the, the actors in the film were fantastic. You know, if you really want to make a film like this, you need to put it in the hands of an Asian director that is used to directing a film like this. Same thing, you need to give it to Asian writers who are used to writing films like this. It felt very like a very whitewashed Asian tale to me. You know, I don't know how you feel about that, but like I think like Ang Lee would have been a good director for this. I don't think he would have taken a film like this. But if you're going to have a film, you know, this type of film, I I would imagine like Ridley Scott, I think, could have made this film into a masterpiece but it felt like it was missing a lot of things that could have made it really really great it was uh something very familiar to a lot of people because it, it seemed like it was shown from that aspect but in regards to the acting i thought i couldn't agree with you more i thought it was a very well acted film what they were given wasn't always fresh original i do like the fact that they did not do a retelling shot by shot remake because i know that with the lion king just a waste of time because it was to me just the same thing as I saw in the cartoons. And here, if it had been the same thing as I saw as an animated feature, I probably would have just really been mad wasting $30 on it because I just could have seen the Mulan movie on Disney plus for free. But this was something that was uh, intended to go in a different direction. I do not like the fact though, that they borrowed liberally 
from Star Wars. Heavy, heavy, heavy influence from Star Wars. So you lose some of that originality part of it. And I can understand your thought about the the white aspect of it. There's a there's a really like an influence of white culture in it because it, it's it, it leans heavily on Star Wars culture and Star Wars storytelling. You could almost see the parallels between a Luke Skywalker, between a Darth Vader, between a, you know the, those. We were I was basically just in my mind seeing that whole type of scenario. Some of the different Star Wars movies all put into one, but it's an okay movie. I think you and I both agree that it's an okay movie and it's okay an experience. Is it worth the $30? You know, we all said at the, at the end, my family did said, it's okay. You know, we were really excited to see it. We were really wanted to go ahead and, and put the money in. So, and at the end, it's something that maybe would have been better on a big screen as a big screen spectacle. But I agree with you as far as the back end. I wanted to see more of that type of influence and cultural imprint on it that the movie deserves, I think. But overall, I thought it was okay. But then again, like I said, because it borrowed so heavily from other influences and couldn't really tell an original story in and of itself, I think that's what let me down the most. The action sequences were good and the acting was great. So I really liked that part of it. But again, overall, I thought it was eh, okay movie. Yeah, it was okay. It was very middle of the road. I don't regret paying for it. I don't regret watching it. You know, people keep asking me, should I watch it or should they watch it? And I keep on saying, well, don't expect a take-by-take remake of Mulan. You know, go into it expecting a Mulan-type film in the vein of a martial arts film. My last complaint about the movie was the fact that, like, the witch kind of an intriguing character they did not develop her very well like her her emotional changes were is like a someone flicking a switch right? yeah it was just on and off there was no build up to that and the main bad guy like he barely got any screen time and he was not menacing at all like when he died like i i just looked at it as another like soldier falling in the battlefield like i there was nothing that really made me fear him so the development of the villains with jason scott lee and the witch as well I thought what they delivered was really good. The problem is they weren't utilized very well at all. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, they were. I mean, I again, like I thought all the acting was great. I just I think that they just weren't handed a great script to deal with. You know, they there wasn't. It seemed like it was this, very the, safe. The, yeah. The lady that directed it, Nikki Caro, I think her name is her claim to fame is the zookeeper's wife. And that's barely a big budget film. So it's just it's. I don't think that she was the right choice for something like this. They should have had, again, somebody, either an Asian director or somebody who has experience directing historical epics, you know, something that really utilizes the number of people that they had on screen for something like this. Well, again, it's Mulan. It's out there in video on demand. You got to pay 30 bucks for it right now off of Disney+. Plus. It will be soon available in theaters around the world if you can't get it on Disney+. Plus, But... It's okay. I think we were expecting something more, something more epic, and unfortunately we didn't get it, but it still gets a passing grade from us. And if people are wondering whether or not they should spend $30 for it, if you got a family of three, four individuals or more watching it, I think it's worth the value. But if you're just watching it by yourself and you want to pop down the $30, it is not the experience I think you were looking for. What are your thoughts out there on Milan? We'd love to hear them. Please share them with us when you get a chance right here at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. We've got more to talk about on today's show, my friend. The Boys Season 2 is out. First three episodes. 
first two episodes, I will say, is a lot of character filler, as far as character building, world building, things of that nature. So it doesn't move, I think, at the pace a lot of people were expecting. But my, oh my, episode three. It is back to the boys, and it is probably the best episode I've seen out of both seasons. And that's saying something because the boys was the pick for us as far as the best TV show of last year. So if you get a chance, check out the boys. Just again, the first two episodes builds a lot of the world. It's very important for structure building. But episode three is really a humdinger. So I think Amazon really had an idea of knowing when to stop as far as what episodes they wanted to release and, and then the rest coming off at a later point in time. So yes, the first three episodes are out. It's it's highly recommended for me. I know Josh is going to be checking it out, so I look forward to hearing his thoughts on The Boys Season 2 as we move along. Also got a chance to check out Raised by Wolves on HBO Max. I saw the first episode, and you definitely see Ridley Scott's touch. He directed the episode that I, that I got a chance to watch, so... It's basically two androids trying to save humanity because the world that humans are battling, it's like a faith-based war that is very destructive. So in order to save one side of, of this human culture, they land on a deserted planet with embryos. They try to bring these kids to life. Not all of them make it, but there's one kid that does make it, and the androids try to protect that child. Then it gets to a point where some visitors come in and uh, it gets kind of interesting from there. And the parents get kind of protective, as as you would imagine. But if you get a chance, I do recommend the first episode of Raised by Wolves. It's very visual and there is no expense spared in this. So as a sci-fi, it's pretty good. I recommend it. I'm excited to watch it. You got robots and theology like that's two things that really scott seems to do pretty well so uh i'm i'm into it i'll check it out and i'll get back to you with my thoughts that's raised by wolves on hbo max so definitely looking forward to hearing more thoughts on that so if you have thoughts on raised by wolves on hbo max the boys season two and then of course mulan we'd love to hear your thoughts pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com my friend before we hit the break I wanted to go ahead and update everyone on Tenet. I want to ask your thoughts real quickly on this. Tenet did open up with the largest opening in the U.S. in months at $20 million here in the U.S. and is nearing $200 million worldwide. Mind you, this was a movie I think that was going to garner a billion dollars. Despite the good but not super strong reviews on it, I think this movie was going to captivate an audience. and I think this movie had a billion dollars written on it. It will not make a billion dollars in the box office. But again, I see maybe a three, four hundred, possibly at a stretch five, but at least between three and four hundred, I'm thinking. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, on this. Was the gamble, I think probably Warner Brothers is the is the studio, was the gamble for tenant to hit the theaters a good one instead of going straight to video on demand because it's looking more and more like that was the case that they could at least salvage some of the money that they're going to be losing on it. It'll probably hit, by the time it's done with its theatrical run, I think it'll make around 500, four to 500 because it's just opening in where we are this week. Like it's not even out yet. It starts playing in theaters here on Friday. So no, it's already out. It's okay. Well, maybe the theaters here are just getting it on Friday because I was okay. looking up the, the first showings they have are on Friday out okay. here. So, you know, it's possible that they're just our theaters 
are not opened yet. But You're right. Um, it could be rolling out in, in, across America in that fashion because there's still many theaters that are not even opened or some that are opening up yeah. in the next few days. Yeah. So I, I don't know like what the rest of the world looks like right now. But yeah, I, th- I think I'm hopeful that'll do well. I think that it was worth the gamble and I, I kind of to show like the naysayers that like hey people are going to theaters again it kind of gives people an excuse to get out of their house because especially out here like i'm going out and there's people everywhere you know people are just are getting tired of sitting in their houses all the time and i think that going to see a movie like tenant would be like a worthy activity you know assuming you you play it safe and do all the precautions and all that but i also feel like once it releases on once it's done you know with a limited theatrical run that they will probably go ahead and put it out on video on demand and it'll it'll wreak more costs uh, via that format it'll never make up for the money it's lost on a general okay it's out in the theaters for five to six months, and then it goes to a video on demand from then. Even though there would be, in that scenario, less demand on the video demand, if that makes sense. Overall, the money that it was going to earn is still not going to be there, as we talked about over the course of the past few months and whatnot, because of what's going on. For me, they're making the best out of a bad situation, and I think it was a good gamble they were very uh, just adamant. Christopher Nolan was extremely adamant on putting this movie out in the theaters. And I don't think there's any one right answer because you see Mulan bypass the theaters here in the U.S. when maybe now people are saying, oh, maybe it should have come out in theaters. There is no one right answer. So I think that Disney Plus is going to kill it this weekend with Mulan and I think there's going to be a lot of interest in Mulan, people have been spending $30. So I think at the end of the day, when the the ink dries and the dust settles, I think that both movies, for the what it did here in the U.S. market, I think both were the right answer at this point in time. I don't think there was any one wrong answer. Yeah, yeah. And I look at a movie like Tenet, like it was made to be seen in theaters. And I look at something like Mulan, I'm like, okay, I've, am just fine watching that from my couch, you know, because it, it really doesn't utilize the theatrical performance. You know, it kind of it's it's a good it's a movie, but it's not. I, it I, I think it would have been a little bit more of a spectacle. For, and I think I maybe would have enjoyed a little bit more of the big screen because the, the battle sequences were kind of shot in a way that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I felt OK watching it from my couch, but like something like Tenet that was designed, it was filmed and written with the intention of being watched on the on the big screen like that is something that like i yeah i would leave my house to go see it and you better leave your house pretty soon then if it's coming around to a theater near you so you gotta get the up to date on that when you get a chance to see it tenant as it rolls into u.s theaters again 20 million dollars here one of the largest actually the largest u.s opening in months and months and months and it is nearing $200 million worldwide. So we wish Tenet all the success as it hopefully garners enough money to justify its importance on the big screen. What are your thoughts on Tenet? Have you actually ventured out into the theaters to check out Tenet this weekend? We want to hear your thoughts on the movie itself and your experience in the theaters. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com The Batman is having a diversion as far as the way they're shooting the film because Robert Pattinson unfortunately has been stricken with the coronavirus. It hasn't halted shooting per se because they're going to shoot the stuff that, that they were going to shoot without him and that's still going to go on. But I think it's going to be slowed down by a few weeks simply because of the fact that eventually you're going to need to start getting Robert Pattinson 
in front of the camera again. So your thoughts on the Batman being slowed down by the coronavirus? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. It's disappointing, I guess. You know, we all wish him a speedy recovery. And I'm sure in a couple of weeks, you know, once all the the quarantine, he, he goes through all the procedures and stuff that he'll be back on set and ready to rock and roll again. But yeah, I mean, obviously you need Batman in order to film a Batman movie. So hopefully they're able to to still keep people on the production team and working. But hopefully uh, Robert Pattinson's okay and you know, he has a good recovery. Absolutely. Same thing for The Rock as in his family because he just announced that he had just suffered from it. Michael Rooker, too, that they're both in recovery now uh, and then also The Rock's family. So I'm wishing everyone the best and everyone out there that is suffering from the coronavirus or has suffered from the coronavirus. Our thoughts are with you. Hopefully uh, you'll feel better and get well soon from all of us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, coming up next... Our interview with Seth Porges, one of the directors of Class Action Park. He's coming up next right on the show. And then after that, Josh and I are going to be talking about Nintendo and Mario and Cobra Kai. That's coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Like Become an action family with over 50 exciting rides, shows, and attractions. It's bigger and better than ever. Something for everyone looking for fun. Get ready for the action. At the world's largest participation park where you and the rides become one this week. Come and share the experience together. You're just minutes away. There's nothing in the world like action park. All right, and we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to go ahead and tell everybody that we're going to have to go ahead and bump our coverage of Marvel's Avengers video games to Friday shows. If you get a chance, check out our PCC Multiverse. Plus, I also want to give one of our sponsors, Retro City Games, some love. 15% off everything going through Monday, through Labor Day. So you want to check that out. It is available now, 15% off through the store at our Las Vegas and Henderson locations. Well, you know, if you got a chance to go ahead on HBO Max, you've seen a lot there already, and it's in its early months as far as the streaming service is concerned. But one of the best things that you need to catch is the awesome documentary Class Action Park. You heard about what Josh said earlier in the program about how he loves it, because I turned him on into it, because I spoke so glowingly of it. It is one of the best entertainment experiences of this year. It, it most likely be in my top 10 somewhere for the year 2020. It is one of the best documentaries out there right now. And I have one of the directors out here today, Seth Porges. Not only was he a previous editor with Popular Mechanics, you see what he did episodes of Travels Mysteries at the Museum. I watched that from time to time. He's got the experience, he's got the know-how, and along with Chris Charles Scott, they both created just such a tremendous experience in Class Action Park. And Seth, thank you so much for being part of the program today. It's great to be here. Uh, absolutely. So when you hear stuff like that from me and what, what my co-host Josh has said about your program, and I know a lot of people are sending you love as far as on social media and as far as on email, 
How does it make you feel? Because it is uh, like I checked out Metacritic. It's getting very strong reviews. Yeah, it's been amazing, especially because we made this movie in sort of the smallest, scrappiest, most independent way possible. We self-produced this film. There was no outside funding. There was no corporate involvement prior to you know getting on HBO Max. There was nothing. It was just a couple of guys shooting it and trying to tell the story and seeing the response. You dream of it. You hope for it. You never expect it. And it's kind of surreal to deal with it. Well, I'll ask you this because it leads to a larger thing because some of the other best entertainment things I've seen have also become on HBO, including another great documentary, McMillions, which I saw earlier this year. I want to ask you this. HBO has always, and The Vow right now, which is the docuseries going on, HBO and now HBO Max have always tried to go ahead and put an emphasis on the documentary. So was it you reaching out to them or them reaching out to you? Because it seems like HBO has a great affinity for quality documentaries. You know, our film, we're really lucky because the topic of Action Park is so sticky and exciting uh, that before the movie was finished, we kind of put out a little teaser trailer and we had a lot of attention. We actually had an amazing feature in the New York Times from then. And so we had a lot of conversations, a lot of different people, but it was very clear that HBO Max and the folks there understood our movie and understood what it was about. And I think it would have been really tempting for some buyers, some distributors, some streamers to really push it in one of two directions. One being, it's just this rock and roll party. Everything's fun. Let's make back with nothing but like amazing nostalgia. And the other being, oh, it's just sort of an investigative kind of true crime style documentary into these crimes and deaths. And I don't think doing just one or the other is really captures or is fair to the spirit of Action Park. Because this is a place that was a site for some people of immense joy and formative experiences, like where they grew up. And then for others, is a sense of immense tragedy and heartache and pain. And those things live side by side. They coexisted. And what the movie really to us was about is how those things can and do live side by side, especially through nostalgia, especially when you look back at our past and cope with experiences that we're grateful for having, but feel simultaneously were totally messed up and totally terrible. And Israel Max was, I think, really unique as a platform in understanding that duality and not trying to take us away from that into something that might have been on the surface, at least, a little bit more commercial. And I think that was a really smart decision because I think that conflict and that confusion is what people are responding to from the movie. Well, that's something I want to ask you about because you said your film could have very easily been just a 90 minutes of nostalgia. And your film could have been very easily 90 minutes of just investigative reporting. Yes. But the reason why I love it so much is because it provides a unique blend of both. And it does it in the right way and it does it at the right time. Whether you want to laugh your butt off, which I did at times, whether you just want to go ahead and you just have that look of, I cannot believe that was allowed. Or you want to go ahead and feel true emotion, like in the latter parts of the film. I won't spoil it for people, but the events there is leading to some real emotional, gut-wrenching points in the film. I mean, your documentary, it's just such a great part. And you did something like this before with with Action Park earlier. Actually, what intrigued me, because I'm from the West Coast. I'm 51 years old. I would have been very easily, if I had been on living on the East Coast, would have been already knowledgeable about it. But I had no clue on Action Park. And I actually, with Johnny Knoxville's Action Point, I really didn't get the connection then. But seeing your teaser trailer got me interested. I thought, okay, well, how much can Class Action Park do? Class Action Park goes a full deep dive into why Action Park was so dangerous, 
but also so entrancing at the same point of time. Yes, and it's about that. You know, if this was just a movie about a dangerous place, people would go, well, why why would why do we care? Why would anybody have gone to this death trap? What made Action Park interesting, what makes Action Park a story worth telling, what makes Action Park have reverberations that people I'm seeing are applying to many things in current events is because there's something about the danger that people found appealing. There's something about it that people found attractive. And I think I, the movie really needed to recognize how appealing this place was, especially to a young kid. It was something pulled from their wildest fantasies. They could do whatever they wanted. There were yeah. absolutely no rules. There were no rules. And we needed to recognize that that aspect of Action Park is really what is most prominent in sort of the popular culture uh, depictions of it up until now. And, uh, and the imagination of it is this idea that it was this amazing hedonistic wonderland. And often left to the side is the aftermath, the hangover of that, the, the dark side. But you can't have a hangover without a party. You know, like you, we needed to show both. And I think by putting them side by side, our goal was to create a, a whiplash experience that people aren't used to in movies. We wanted to give people a feeling of utter confusion and discomfort. We wanted to make people laugh and then immediately question their own laughter. And I think that makes both the, the joy, the pleasure, and the pain stronger for coexisting. And it's also honest and true to what nostalgia is, where we look back at things simultaneously grateful and simultaneously furious about the same thing. And I'll tell you what, it comes off very strong. Once again, I'm speaking to Seth Porges, along with Chris Charles Scott. They have created Class Action Park. You could have easily called it Traction Park, but Class Action Park. Okay, okay. so of course there were the nicknames. Yes. You can't forget, there's Accident Park, there was Traction Park, <laughs> there was Class Action Park, there was Fracture Park. Uh, but, but Class Action Park. I love Fracture Park. Fracture Park. I mean, pick, pick, your, pick your poison. You know, we ended up going to Class Action Park aesthetically. I, you know, having the words Action Park with another word in front of it, I think made it very clear to people who are familiar with Action Park, this is about Action Park. And also aesthetically, I just love that you could take the Action Park logo and just slap the word class in front of it. You know, it just kind of was very seamless and simple. So this is something, again, you touched on previously before, but you wanted to go ahead and do, like I was talking about just a few minutes ago, a deep dive into it. And you certainly do that along with Charles. So I want to ask you this. What was the motivation to continue this pursuit of this, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, magical place that so many people have both hurtful painful, but pleasant memories of as well. Yeah, as you mentioned, I made a short on the topic in 2013. I'll give a shout out to my collaborators there, Matt and Anthony. And after we put that out, something kind of amazing happened, which is my inbox just for years became inundated with people reaching out to me and sharing their stories, telling me about their experiences at Action Park, and basically saying like, oh, you just hit the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. And I started collecting these sources, collecting these stories, speaking to people, researching it, not knowing what I was going to end up doing with all of this, but knowing that there's something amazing here and really piecing together the larger story of Action Park. And um, I had all this information and all these stories and didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And then last year, April 2019, I was uh, visiting my friend, Chris Charles Scott, who lives in Las Vegas. And we were just grabbing a drink at the Cosmo. And he was basically like, why haven't you done anything with Action Park stuff. And I was like, I, I just need a collaborator. I need somebody who can help me execute on this. And he was basically right then and there, let's let's do it. And within two months, maybe six weeks from then, we were rolling cameras and you know, off to the races. It's Class Action Park on HBO Max. It is a deep dive and a descriptive, detailed 
synopsis of the myth, the legend, the aura, and the realities of what has been described as the most dangerous amusement park ever created. Yeah. The only uh, theme is chaos. Yes. You know, it's not very fair to call it a theme park. It's not the Wild West, like Knott's or Disneyland or whatever. It's not futuristic. It's, the theme is chaos. Absolutely. If you could have survived, got a story to tell your grandkids when it comes to your time spent at Action Park. I want to go ahead and tell everybody it was in upstate New Jersey. And there's not just the fact that Class Action Park was there, the injuries, the dangers, the stuff going on behind the scenes, the partying, the memories that not only the, the people working there have, but also the memories of people that frequented and wanted to go back. And the dangers, and the, but the still the, just the an interest and in why they wanted to go back is there, but also the effect of the actual action park itself on the community, the New Jersey community involved, and the man behind it running action park as well. That is really some very great parts of the story that were not told previously, in my opinion. Yeah, well, some of that stuff came from a stash of secret audio recordings we found with the owner of the park. And I got to tell you, man, like, we, the woman who gave them to us, she told us she had them, and then it just took months and months and months of digging through her attic until she found them. <laughs> and they've been sitting in a box since the 90s. And when we got those, just hearing the owner's voice kind of come to life and him speaking in this very candid manner about things like political connections and the worries of the town about his park's expansion and retaliation against him and other people for messing with the wrong people in town. It was just unbelievable just hearing it come to life and knowing that really nobody had heard these things in 30 years. And because Action Park is what it is, a lot of that is attributed to the owner and the creator of Action Park because of his imagining and in a lot of ways, the rides imagining as well. But I also want to hear your thoughts on if you could just tell people why it's not just about Action Park, but the man behind it and, and the things that he did, both good and bad, in regards to that just accentuates that myth of Action Park even more. Yeah, it's not even just about that. I mean, to me, the movie is about these childhood experiences we have that we have a hard time grappling with and understanding. You know, all of us look back at some parts of our childhood with some degree of fondness and all of us look back to some degree of disgust at mm -hmm. the things we were put through and, and the ways we were growing up, especially kids from the 80s when they were running around really without any parental supervision, getting into trouble, going into extremely dangerous scenarios. You know, if you weren't going to Action Park, you were diving off a cliff, playing in a quarry, running around a factory, getting into fights. Who knows what you were doing, right? Like, it's amazing we don't all have tetanus or, or are dead. And Action Park, I think, was this hyper-distilled version of this latchkey kid 80s upbringing within the confines of an amusement park. And that's what made it so interesting is just the fact that, especially nowadays, people assume amusement parks are tested and safe and you know super super hyper regulated because places like disneyland Disney World are action park wasn't like that and action park was a place where you pay an admission price and experience things you could experience nowhere else on the planet you could do things you could play on rides you could get into fights you could do anything you want and nobody was going to tell you no and it's something so strange about that i think to people younger folks especially who are amazed this place could possibly exist and then their parents are like, oh, yeah, you know, even if you didn't grow up in Jersey, we were doing similar things wherever we grew up. But about the owner, he is this American archetype. He's Charles Foster Kane. He's P.T. Barnum. He's Rockefeller. He's Trump. He's this big, larger-than-life person who has somewhat of a casual disregard for rules and norms. And definitely that shows off in the film. And obviously yeah. it helps perpetuate 
all the themes that you got as far as, like you said, chaos. But one of the last things I want to talk to you about is the overall theme, like you said, chaos. But it also represents, like you said, about the the visions and the way we were acting and living life in the 80s. Because it's a it's a great representation of what life was like in the 80s. And I think it tells a bigger story in that sense. For someone who lived through the 80s, I could tell you that the rules were looser in those days. The regulations yeah. were looser in those days. The th- just There's no life. phone. Yeah. There was no phones. Like parents had no way of knowing where the kids were. Like now they're all have trackers on them effectively. Back then that wasn't the case. You weren't checking in. You know, you maybe be home by dinner was sort of the idea. And if you weren't home, nobody knew where you were. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it, it comes off so well. Again, if you have not checked out Class Action Park, Traction Park, Fracture Park. Fracture Park. Yeah, that's the best one. Accident Park. Accident Park. So many. Grave Pool. I love that. You know, about all the rides, whether it was the Alpine Slides, whether it was the, the Waterfalls, the, whether it was jumping off that, whether it was the, the, the Water Slides of Doom uh, or the the motorboats of danger or the the go-karts uh or the battle boats the only thing you didn't show uh you know, there was like in the commercial was dirt cars with the with the, the roll dune case, the dune there were a, i mean this was a big part there were 75 rides and attractions at its peak there's a lot we didn't get to they had at one point this american gladiators ish experience it had nothing to do with the show in fact there was a legal action taken by the show because they were uh, branding it so closely to the show but literally you would joust some jacked up steroidal new jersey teenager named turbo <laughs> or thunder or something or like run through this obstacle course they turned american gladiators into like an amusement park attraction effectively they had a skydiving simulator for the aerodrome where you put in like a flight suit and you'd hover over a big fan. But what the employees did, every ride had like the way the patrons did it. And then the way the employees did it, that was 10 times more extreme. The employees would take the foam mats that other rides would use and turn them into these like flight suits. And the whole thing was like a building with a donut hole that the fan would blow through. And they would literally fly over the roof through the donut hole. And if they missed that like airstream, they're just toppling over. They're falling. And you spoke about how the dangers of that. That's just incredible. But you just were speaking yeah. about all the the injuries that were happening there on a daily basis. I can tell you from my experience here on the West Coast, there used to be near Ascot Raceway at that point in time in Gardena, California, a little go-kart track that I, that I was once running and whatnot. And I could see the injuries of people that were every single day were having when they were not following the rules. And at times it was chaos and people were seriously injured. Yeah. You know, people actually sliding in under the tracks and the, the track actually embedding into the legs and they would come out and their chunk of their leg is gone. And those yeah. kind of things you see back then, you know, you don't understand the chaos until now, but people kept coming back and they wanted the yeah. danger and they wanted the speed and they want to actually because the governors were turned up and whatnot similar to what you saw in action park uh, as far as what with the go-karts there it's not just the 1980s it's new jersey in the 1980s you know you have these kids who are basically it, it becomes a, a, an all-day game of one-upsmanship a game of chicken you know if you if you don't do that you're a chicken or somewhat something worse and you have to prove it because otherwise you go back to school and good luck facing whatever you're going to face if you weren't <laughs> the kid who wouldn't do it. And so it really became a place where people would test their manhood, test their mettle. Effectively, it's, it is just like in Rebel Without a Cause where they're playing chicken with the cars. That's what Action Park was. Well, I'll tell you what, it's just an incredible story indeed. 
And one last thing I want to ask you before we head on out, and that is I want you to go ahead as Pitchman. Your Pitchman now to everybody out there that's watching and that's listening all around the world on radio and podcast outlets worldwide, and of course us right here on Facebook Live and YouTube. And that is this. You got to sell people on why Class Action Park is it's, – it's just got to be a documentary you have to go out of your way to see. Yeah, I think it sells itself. I mean, it's a documentary about the most dangerous and chaotic amusement park that ever existed. If that doesn't appeal to you, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> well, it's just amazing. I mean, you watch it and it's the varying levels of emotions, as I said before, from shock, how could they have let this happen, to laughter. I love the parts where you talk about the preventative measures, quote unquote, that they would do in order to find bodies, so to speak. I won't elaborate and go into because yeah. that's almost like, yeah, because there's a, I was just rolling. I was just rolling. And then yeah. the, obviously the emotions that you have later in the film as well, as far as the repercussions are concerned, it's just truly an emotional thrill ride all the way. It is Class Action Park. It's one of the best things that you'll see in 2020. It's on HBO Max. Get it now. Watch it now. Seth Porges, it's just so amazing to have you here. I hope you'll get a chance to come back at some point in time. You and also as well, Charles, I just wish you both extreme success with this and your future projects. And I cannot thank you enough. And I'm hoping you'll, again, someday stop by us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. You just asked me. It doesn't have to be for a project. You just want to talk about stuff. I'm there. I'm there. Oh, sweet. That's awesome indeed. Seth Porges, it's just been so incredible having you here. And I truly appreciate you stopping by the Pop culture cosmos if you need your video game fix be sure to check out retro city games located in town square on las vegas boulevard or in henderson nevada retro city games has the cure for all your video game vices retro games and games for current consoles nintendo sega playstation xbox and more retro city games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back with the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. I want to thank Seth Porges for being on the Pop Culture Cosmos today. Thank him so much for taking the time to go ahead and, and spend it with us and talking about Class Action Park, the story behind Action Park. If you get a chance... Please see it on HBO Max. It is one of the best entertainment pieces that has come out this year, in our opinion. So if you get a chance, check out Class Action Park on HBO Max. Well, my friend, I know you didn't get a chance, Josh, to check out No Time to Die, that new trailer that came out for the latest thing to remind people that it's coming out in November. It just piques the interest once again on the 007 franchise and... It gets me excited for No Time to Die. Yeah, I'm actually, like, I've been going back for the first time and watching the old James Bond movies, hoping that by, you know, November, I've never watched some of the old James Bond movies, so I'm trying to, like, you know, kind of get in my head, like, the legacy of the character. I've read some of the books, but I've never only, like, you know, I've watched the Pierce Brosnan ones. I've seen a couple Sean Connery ones. I've seen all the Daniel Craig ones, and I saw the George Lazenby one. I just want to, like, I want to experience all of it. So I'm hoping I, I can do that before the new one comes out. The Daniel Craig movies are the first ones that kind of continue the story. They have interconnected storylines from one movie to the other. And that's something that hasn't been done in James Bond movies before. So I'm really excited to see what happens next, especially, you know, with all the controversy with like having a new 007 character and this being Daniel Craig's last outing as James Bond. Like I am really excited about it. 
I am too. It's looking very good. And so when No Time to Die debuts in the UK on November 12th and then in the US on November 25th, I know a lot of people are going to be excited. That's going to come at a very heavy time, my friend, because I think Tenet is showing people now in the movie industry that people are in some form or fashion in a small amount or a amount that's enough to generate some funds going back to the theater. So you are going to see in late October, November, December, you're going to see a flood of all those films that were supposed to come out during the course of the year being released. And you and I are going to be very busy with movies around that time, I believe. Yes. Yes. And I, I'm hoping that like, we'll have some, resemblance of normalcy by that time but who's who really knows right so you know james bond is definitely one that i would want to experience in the movie theater so as opposed to sitting on my couch and i'm i'm sure the producers want that too because those are not cheap movies to make and if that's the case and people are willing to go back to the theaters but again you know as it gets into the winter months flu and the coronavirus there could be a real situation there so if the rates rise again and things close again we could be talk, talking about something altogether different. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed for everybody's health out there. And then also as well, the health of the movie industry that they're going to be able to go ahead and showcase these films in the box office later this year. Well, before we head on out, my friend, two last things to cover. And that is Mario celebrated a 35th birthday this past week with a surprise Nintendo Direct. And I want to hear your thoughts on some of the big announcements that were there, including Super Mario All-Stars, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, the new Mario Kart Home Circuit, which is going to include, I believe, something that's uh, actually physical. As you know, Nintendo loves to do these different things as far as saying than just a regular video game. Super Mario Bros. 35, which is going to include... 35 players, an online battle game. That's going to be very interesting to see. I'm going to maybe delve into that one. Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. And then on top of that, just to add extra cuteness, a Super Mario Brothers Game & Watch, which I thought was really uber cool. It takes me back to the old days on that one. I mean, they just had some great announcements when it concerns the just the 35th anniversary of Mario that bundle of Super Mario Brothers All-Stars just with Super Mario Sunshine, Super Mario 64, Super Mario Galaxy coming to the Switch in a single package. I, I understand it's Nintendo making some chunk of change there by rebundling a lot of the stuff and repackaging a lot of the stuff. But my gosh, more Mario isn't a bad thing. I mean, it was, it was cool. I liked the, the 3D All-Star remake. I am really excited about that. My one beef with it is that why make it a limited release? They're saying you can only get it between September 18th and I think March 31st or something, and then you won't be able to get it anymore. So that was... Or get it for now. I, I guess, you know, if they're doing like a going back in the vault type thing, but like that just felt, feels really weird to me because Switch, like Switch games don't have issues selling. Like look at Mario games, they go on sale ten dollars off you know and that's on a good week so i don't think they'd have any issues people would continuously buy it as for the game itself i am excited i am gonna get my pre-order in this week i don't like i guess they i would have preferred like a more remastered version of mario 64 because if you go and look at the the video of it it has the black bars on the side they kind of did a i guess an up convert much like a 
a Blu-ray player will upconvert a, a, a DVD. So they did that. Still excited about it. Super excited about Super Mario 3D World. That was one that I wanted to play, but just never had the opportunity to. So now it's coming back. So that's cool. Really interested, not going to say excited, but interested in that Mario Kart, the kind of augmented reality type thing, which is really cool because you're driving the cart and it's creating this track on your screen that you have to follow and it's keeping your car from running into things. So really cool. But yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out of that. Well, what are your thoughts? More Mario is not a bad thing. So whether or not it's the the new Mario Kart, the 35-player online battle Mario, the reimagining of the, the bundle package that they're putting with all the older Mario games in there, yeah, it's Nintendo's way of, of revisiting that nostalgia and making the chunk of change, but we keep buying it. We keep sucking it in. We keep eating it up. So I just tell you, Mario is one of the, the favorite characters that I enjoy. So to me, that's not such a bad thing at all. I'm glad to see, like, you know, being able to play Sunshine and Galaxy. I'm glad to see that they are, I guess, doing in a sense what they did with the, um, you know, with the with the eShop, just putting out all the old games. My only thing is I can understand why people would not want to pay to play these games, though, because you look at it, you could get Mario 64 for like $7 on the Wii eShop, and now you have to pay $30 again. But I also know because of it, Mario and it's on the Switch that people would probably pay like $90 if they're charging 30 bucks a piece for these games. So I'm excited about it, but you know, I can see why some people are disgruntled about it, like our friend Rank over at the Super BS Games cast. With the Nintendo, you always have to pay the dollars. What are your thoughts on the, all the new Mario games that are coming to Nintendo, Nintendo Switch, the Portable, the Home Circuit, the whole nine yards celebrating the 35th anniversary of Mario? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode, but before we head on out, I want to go ahead and give a big shout-out to Cobra Kai. The first two seasons are now available on Netflix, and it is exploding on Netflix. In advance of season three, which is coming out next year, I do want to give props to Captain Jim FTW. He was right that season three is already set to go. It's not been delayed, the production by coronavirus, so it's already set to go next year. But Seasons 1 and 2 are a big hit on Netflix. Actually, Season 1, I said, was one of the best shows on television at that point in time. So I want to hear your thoughts before we head on out, my friend, on your excitement for watching Cobra Kai. I don't really have a lot of thoughts right now because I haven't seen it, but I am excited to watch it. I have been talking to a lot of people who don't normally watch that type of thing, and they're saying it's just on Netflix. looked looked interesting. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to go back to the world of the Karate Kid. In a different fashion, in a different form, and from a different viewpoint, which I really liked. I really enjoyed the aspect of it. I watched The Karate Kid a couple times, but I'm still not a huge fan of it. I thought it was part of some 80s cheesy schlock even back then. So I'm not one of the biggest fans of Karate Kid. But boy, am I one of the biggest fans of Cobra Kai because of the way that they were so unique. They took this bit of nostalgia and were able to make something completely fresh out of it. And I truly enjoyed that aspect of it. So you get a chance, check out Cobra Kai. It is the number one trending show on Netflix right now. So if you get a chance, check out Cobra Kai on Netflix. You will be glad you did. So Josh, has been a great episode. More coming up this week on the Friday show, the PCC Multiverse. But any last thoughts on the way out? A lot of streaming I got to catch up on. So uh, hopefully I will have more thoughts on all the things coming up here finally we're getting a lot of good stuff coming to us now and hopefully we'll go ahead and get more this fall 
and this holiday. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great 